Welcome to Oxford Adult ESL Conversations, hosted by Jamie Adelson Goldstein, co author of the Oxford Picture Dictionary and series director of the new Step Forward Second Edition. In this episode, Jamie is joined by Marianne Cunningham Flores, program manager for Fairfax County, Virginia Public Schools Adult ESOL program. Her previous positions include Director of the Adult Education Professional Development Center of DC Learns, Program Coordinator with the Arlington, Virginia Education and Employment Program, and Assistant Director at the National Center for ESL Literacy Education. In this conversation on ways teachers and administrators can thrive in challenging times, Marianne offers insights gleaned from her wealth of experience working with adult ESOL practitioners across the U.S. Let's join them now. Marianne, it's my pleasure to welcome you here. Thank you, Jamie. It's, I'm very excited. I have a lot of respect for the Oxford products, and I've known you for a number of years. So, so I'm really happy to do this. How are you doing in these interesting times? <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't say a little stressed, a little concerned, a little watchful. There are a lot of things going on in the world today. And I think personally, as well as professionally, um, we're waiting to see. I mean, we're taking action, but we're also waiting to see how things are changing. And, you know, when you're unsure which way that change is going to go, you know, it's a good idea to be mindful. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I think um, because I know you're a bit of a one woman band. (laughs) Oh, let me correct you there. (laughs) Because I just had a week at work where I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the staff is small but mighty. And I've just been through a week where I was reminded once again that it's the amazing people in our field, both in terms of their, their talent and creativity and their commitment. That's wonderful to hear. So will you describe a little bit what a program manager does? Well, I am the program manager for a pretty considerable uh, adult ESL ESL program here in the um, metropolitan area of of our nation's capital. And we serve between five and 6,000 enrollments a year. So it's a lot of people. Fortunately for us, we see a number of our students coming back to us. So we're, we're happy with that and happy to see them come back. Um, it's as a program manager, it's my job to be a steward of everything. So I'm doing budgets and monitoring finance and looking at curricula and making sure that everything we're, we're teaching is best practices and we're planning PD, and right now I'm managing uh, the moving of several of our locations um, to new locations. So, so perhaps what I should have asked you is, what is it you don't do? <laughs> the list would be shorter. Yeah, you know, it's it's like a mom and pop shop. You open the door in the morning, you turn the sign to open, and you deal with whatever comes through the door, and. Sometimes that's a challenge, and often it's joy. Um, and those are the moments we live for. Or, you know, sometimes the joy is actually just dealing with a challenge successfully. So we want to talk about how everyone in our field can experience more of the stellar and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. still have the skills 
um, for the days where they have to survive. From your experience, what are some of the challenges that you see teachers facing most often now that we're, you know, in the WIOA uh, data driven Mm -hmm. um, college and career readiness focus timeframe? It's dealing with a lot of the new rules and regulations and guidelines. Um, Most people get into the field of adult ESL because they want to teach language. They don't get into it necessarily to fill out forms or to, you know, have to suddenly shift gears uh, to incorporate yet another new um, focus for what they're doing. And I think, you know, most teachers inherently want to improve what they're doing because they want, they know that by improving their skills, they're going to be supporting their students better. But sometimes it is difficult to see the direct connection between the changes that are rolling through the organization and what they're doing in their own individual classroom with their, with their learners. And I totally understand that because at the administrative level, I mean, we experience similar things. We see something cross our desks that says you need to do something you haven't done before or stop doing something you were doing before. And, you know, we go through our own processing of that at the administrative levels. So what's a skill that you have that allows you to cope with that um, maybe knee jerk, I don't want to do this or why are we having to do this? Which is, I think, quite human and has nothing to do with whether we're in education. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's a human condition. Absolutely, because by change is difficult. And I think in most cases, your first reaction is to have some re- some level of resistance to it. And that's just, like you said, very normal. Um, but I do, I love that phrase, tolerance for ambiguity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I think... More and more, that capacity to be able to tolerate times when things aren't 100% clear uh, is very important because when you're transitioning, there's always going to be those periods where it's not a clear path. And even sometimes when someone presents it as a clear path, it isn't really. Um, You've only maybe gotten one perspective on it. And as a, as a manager who's a little bit in the middle of things, um, you may be handed something from a person above or beside you. And when you t- pass it off to the people that you work with, there's a whole different set of feedback and reactions that you're going to experience. So being able to be comfortable at least a little bit in that space is really important. Do you have any practices that uh, you've put into play to help you manage the feedback? Because from my perspective, the teacher has the same type of yeah. transfer yeah. going on. I agree. Um, I think the older I get, the more and more it becomes apparent to me that one of the best things to do is just stop and give it all a minute. Because I think we all do naturally have knee-jerk reactions to things. Um, I think we move in a very fast-paced world. So we're constantly striving to go to that next step as quickly as possible. And I think professionally, interpersonally, taking, even if it's 
just a moment to stop yourself and make sure that what you think you heard is what you heard. And that even though this reaction or this feedback may not jibe with your personal perspective or the way you expected it to go, um, that that's okay. And, you know, take a moment to do whatever you need to do next, whether it's clarify or rephrase or regroup a little bit personally or, or with the other person. I think that's immensely important. Um, I also think that that idea of assuming the best is incredibly important. I think we see that in life all around us right now. Um, it's very easy to assume that whatever feedback you're getting, if it's not matching your perspective or your expectations, that there's something wrong. That person is somehow either on the defensive or on the attack with you. And so I just feel that that's so important. And when our students are living, you know, in stressful times, our teachers are living in stressful times, um, our administrators are living in stressful times, that's kind of one of the biggest gifts we can give each other, both personally and professionally. Well, I'm thinking that from the classroom perspective, teaching the language that would allow a learner to learn the skill Mm -hmm. in any context, but to be able to say, give me a minute to think about that. Or uh, Mm -hmm. I'd like to clarify, could you say that a different way? Or are you talking about, I mean, all of that type of, you know, the nice sentence stems or language frames that we could provide. That's actually not a bad uh, concept to share in a meeting with teachers because that also, you know, gives us as teachers a language to use in our meetings. And I think, again, you know, we're teaching adults, we're adults, we're adult learners, all these layers of correlation to what we're doing, what we're living, what our learners are living is something to take note of. Absolutely. And the interpersonal relationship, the communication, the um, ability to manage differing perspectives, um, to give feedback, all of those kinds of things that we want to see people do in order to be successful in an employment situation are things that are coming up in the classroom anyway. So there's every reason to take advantage of that and be able to, you know, highlight those experiences in the classroom so that students can take it away with them. And often, I think, to make that explicit connection for them about the importance of taking that away with them, that it's not just words or phrases to be used in the classroom, but this is what you can use outside the classroom, in the workplace, in your life, and maybe ask them how. Well, and for me, so much of of that relevance also carries over into the collaborative work that is so much a part of the 21st century workplace, and it's certainly part of the academic Uh, and civic world for learners. And yet we have intrapersonal learners. We have learners who don't value uh, interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Now we can do some of those things that help learners think about what their preferences, what their biases, um, what their challenges 
are. If you work from a place where you're familiar with yourself and you have at least some understanding about how those pieces come together um, to create your reactions and your interactions, that's very important. But I think maintaining an open and curious mind or demeanor so that you try things before you make a decision that, well, this isn't going to work for me. So in the theme of an open, curious mind, if you had only one area of the field that you could explore more, what would it be? I think one of the fascinating things for me right now is what I feel is almost a dichotomy between the idea of language learning and the fact that, you know, research has told us that three to five years for social language, um, five to seven or eight years to really start being proficient in more academic level language. And the fact that we're looking, you know, with the workplace, we're looking at these more short term trainings, the kind of things that will get people through a, a workplace training very quickly or job oriented training very quickly and get them out there and working. And I'm just really curious how those two are going to work together. I am a lover of language. And to me, it's a process that unfolds over time. I just, I'm so curious how that's going to all work out, where we're combining this sort of more quick and hit the ground running approach on one side with this process that we know takes some time. I agree. There's so many challenges out there. Students are stressed and they're coming into our classrooms stressed. And teachers have to be really good at knowing how to deal with stressed people. Um, One thing we've been doing is encouraging our teachers to take part in a, um, I think they're calling, I think they called it something like mental health first aid class that uh, offered in partnership with some of our local um, community service and social service organizations that previously have been geared mostly towards social service providers um, dealing again with very stressed people, but we've been encouraging our teachers to participate when they can. What a great idea, because, you know, they can do the survival skill of building community, but how do they deal with that stress that's underneath that community? Well, I, one of my favorite writers, T.H. White, in um, The Once and Future King said that, and I'll paraphrase, but he said that the best thing for being sad is to learn something. And I've always really appreciated that. And I've, that's always stayed with me. Um, because I, I think it's not just when you're sad, but when you're frustrated, when you're maybe a little lost, when you're a little bit adrift, um, learning something new can really, it can open up things, it can help you focus, it can give you new energy. So let's all, yeah, definitely keep learning. I think it's really important. Yes, yes. Is that a good takeaway? I think that's a good takeaway. <laughs> That is a, that's a beautiful takeaway. I think we have to end there. <laughs> is there anything that, that we haven't touched on that you feel like I'd really like to make sure uh, this, this comes into the, the conversation? 
I definitely want to say that I think our field is made up of an extraordinary group of people. And we may not get to celebrate that enough because I think the creativity, the dedication, the skills that teachers in adult ESOL have are amazing. And I just hope we all celebrate that because I think we're often also people who beat ourselves up for what we didn't do. Okay, so thriving means celebrating who you are and what you do. (laughs) Yeah, and when you're at that cocktail party next time and someone says, so what do you do? Lead with, I have the most amazing job in the world and I get to work with the most inspiring people in the world. Well, I feel the same way having had this conversation with you. So it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'd like to encourage our listeners to Look for your work uh, uh, with the Kayla Briefs, also the new American Horizons video series. Uh, And actually just Googling Marianne Cunningham Flores will get you a plethora of uh, materials to look at. Thank you for having an adult ESL conversation. Thank you, Jamie. I really enjoyed it. We love what you do and want to support you in every step of the way. For more useful resources to support your teaching, including sample lessons from Step Forward 2nd Edition and the Oxford Picture Dictionary, visit us at oup.com slash ELT slash loveadultesl. That's oup slash ELT slash loveadultesl. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Oxford Adult ESL Conversations.